NoSQL databases are known to provide agility and flexibility when compared to traditional SQL databases. They can be scaled across thousands of servers, making them well-suited for working with large sets of data. As a result, they're often used for big data and data analytics. Deciding on using NoSQL is one thing, but choosing which one to use is a vital factor for any organization, as these databases can vary in architecture, functionality, and more. Joining us from Australia is SoarCloud CEO and founder and Cocktails co-host, David Brown. Good morning, David. Good morning. In this episode of Cocktails, we discuss NoSQL databases with Joe Carlson, developer advocate from MongoDB. Joe shares his insights on NoSQL and SQL databases, their similarities and differences, and which you should choose for your next project. All right, Joe Carlson, welcome to the show. Hi, welcome. Welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for being here. Oh, absolutely. What an energetic start to our podcast. Okay, so let's jump right in. Uh, so can you tell us what is a NoSQL database and why should developers consider it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to speak really broadly about it. But no, NoSQL is a, what's the word, an acronym for not only SQL. Emerged just when we we're like, beginning of starting to look at other database models that aren't SQL or relational. Uh, NoSQL is a massive term and encompasses basically anything that isn't a, a relational database that inc like includes time series databases, graph databases, key value stores, uh, document-based databases. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple, but a lot. And, and in what category does MongoDB fit? Yeah, absolutely. So MongoDB is a document-based database. And basically what that means is instead of saving your data in like a relational rows and columns table type format, you're saving it in documents. Um, and the key differentiator there is like you're as like programmers, we're used to saving and working with data in JSON like objects or dictionaries, you know, so like um, we, we can save the data the way that we think about it without having to use an ORM to map that back and forth between data and memory. So what, why is that a good thing? Why is it a good thing to uh, yeah, lose the concept of tables and relationships? And why would someone want to move towards a document-based database instead? Well, we, you don't have to get rid of relationships, which we'll t I think we'll talk about that today a little bit more. Um, but uh, yeah, it, so there's a lot of benefits to it, but like not being able to work directly with the database and not using an ORM actually like it removes a whole layer of abstraction. Um, it can actually increase query performance, make it easier to work with the data. Um, and yeah, like we're, I can save the data the way that I'm thinking about it. I don't have to like map it back and forth. Um, there's also like some, there's some key uh, performance gains you get to from embedding your data directly in a document as opposed to doing joins on a foreign key. I guess a lot of developers, uh, you know, they, they spend a lot of time thinking about entity design. So in a uh, NoSQL database, mm -hmm. does it mean they don't need to uh, worry about entity design anymore and that they can, you know, uh, basically build their uh, contact entity or whatever on the fly and add, add extra fields as they need them, that sort of thing? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um actually quite the opposite. I think it's a common misconception with uh, NoSQL databases and particularly document-based databases. I'm a developer advocate and software engineer at MongoDB, so I'll talk about it from a MongoDB document-based perspective. Um, 
But uh, yeah, no, um, you still need to worry about it. Uh, uh, schema design, just like with SQL development, is one of the key parts about increasing query and write performance. Um, I think it's one of the things that people actually don't give enough time and energy to when they're developing or like working on a NoSQL database. Um, actually, I just spoke at a conference today about that. Um, yeah, it can like hurt performance. I think a lot of people who like complain about their MongoDB database not like scaling well, it's nine times out of 10, it's a, it's a schema design problem. Um, and kind of making sure that to refactor that, reconsider it. And so how does that affect future modifications of your document design? So if you do want to uh, change the uh, you know, fields in your entities and that sort of stuff, should you rebuild your documents or in order to maintain performance? How does that work? You could. Um, I honestly wouldn't recommend it. Um, just like you would, but like, like data requirements and feature requirements are always changing. They're always growing. And even with an SQL database, even like day one when you launch it, rarely, you know, six months to a year down the line is that database still in the exact same schema that you need to follow at the beginning. And the same thing with um, MongoDB database too. Like you're, it's right. Software never, it never ends. Software development never changes. It's always being updated, changed, expanded mm -hmm. on. So schema design changes are, that's just part of life. You can't avoid it, right? Even if you, day one, you have the perfect, perfect schema you know which doesn't exist yeah. right but like um it's going to change uh so and typically what we do with an sql database is you run migrations and you make changes to it and those are but you can do the same thing with the no sql database with mongodb um that's definitely not an anti-pattern um yeah you could pause it and dump it and restart it again i wouldn't recommend that most of the time you're gonna probably have some downtime and it's not really necessary um, yeah, I would probably just like copy that data over to another like dev database and start running some migration queries on it or like migration updates on all your data um, and then run that query. Okay, so what, what should developers consider in terms of uh, their schema design and optimizing it for performance in a NoSQL? Is it the same considerations yeah. as a relational database or is it? Yeah, it's confusing. So I'll talk about it from an SQL perspective, which we might people might be familiar with or not. but. Um, there's very prescribed and well-researched approaches to SQL schema design. And we typically do that with normalization. Most developers normalize to the third form. Um, basically what that means is that like with a relational database, your concern is not how that's going to be used. It's what data you have. And I'm not saying that's always true, but like I have a users, I have some user data and I have some professions. Maybe they have a class schedule and like, Oh, I should just split that up and we'll, we'll do some joins in that with the foreign key. So normalization is like typically what we're doing. Um, with MongoDB schema design and document based schema design, there's no rules, there's no process, there's no algorithm. The only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is designing a schema based on the needs of your database. So like a schema might work for you, but it, you know, in a very similar application, it might be totally different for someone else. I'll give you an example. So actually, um, I just recently built an IoT kitty litter box. Um, so it measures my cat's weight over time and how often he uses the bathroom. Um, uh, but so I designed the schema based on how I'm going to be using and reading that data. And typically what we use with IoT data is you do like you chart sensor data over time. So I'm designing my schema in a, a time series type schema that's going to be optimized for reading out of a chart really quickly in real time. Um, and that made sense for my application. It doesn't make sense for everyone else though. Um, but yeah, you could still map relationships and model things however you want. Your uh, 
IoT device for kitties, kitty uh, monitoring. Is that a new a career path? New product we're going to see? <laughs> new product we're going to see on Amazon Marketplace? Yeah, I haven't quit my job yet, <laughs> but um, I was actually just looking on Wirecut or um, I think it was on Wired. Yeah, Wired. But they there's a robotic IoT litter box on the market today. Wired gave it an eight out of ten, and it's selling for five hundred dollars a pop right now. Yeah. Um, so if anyone wants to steal that idea from me, all the code is open source. Um, you could totally go and take that and monetize it. I am not doing that. I just did it for fun and I talk about it at conferences and whatever. There would be plenty of people that would be interested in knowing that sort of stuff. <laughs> I have found that to be true too. It's been my most popular talk and blog post by, by far. My most popular open source project. All right. Let's talk about relationship database design. So, you know, uh, Relational databases are good at relationships, right? So that's that's what that's how they originated. So you yeah. uh, you have a database schema design which is highly relational, like a CRM system or uh, perhaps uh, transactional systems like a order management system. Uh, SQL databases have typically been the database of choice. So what would you say to those that argue that a relational database is better suited to data that is highly relational? Yeah, totally. The two biggest misconceptions about MongoDB is one, that does not support asset transactions, which is false. And two, that it doesn't support relational joins, which is also false. Um, actually, in our aggregation pipeline, you can do a join or it's, we call it a lookup and you can join data from separate collections of databases. No problem. Um, yeah, uh, relation, relationship building is not a problem, right? So when you're designing a scheme with MongoDB, there's two things you can do. There's only two things, two choices you have to make for every piece of data. Either I embed this directly in the document or I reference it using a foreign key, just like you would with a relational database. Um, I think there's been like, and it's a, I, I will admit it's a newer feature and it's something we've listened to the community on, they've been asking for for years. So we built it, I think it's been out since like version 4.2 or whatever. Um, but yeah, you could, any, any relationship you can model with, with a SQL database, you can totally model with a, a MongoDB database. Um, and you actually, in fact, have additional flexibility because you can start embedding that data directly in it, which increases performance and whatever, right? But I don't have to do a lookup. And, and even in an SQL database, joins are really expensive. And I don't know if you know how it works, right? But if I have data in two separate tables, I do a join in them. It basically pulls all those tables into memory and then it runs an SQL query on that join data set in memory. That's expensive time-wise and memory-wise. And that can become a blocking operation at scale. Um, but if you don't have to do that, that's a massive gain. And I think a lot of people would be surprised that MongoDB supports acid transactions as well now. That is my, that is my, yeah, number one misunderstanding about MongoDB. Doesn't support acid. And like, you could, yeah, we, we just, like, I think even like six months ago, we, you could start, you can do acid transactions on sharded da on data clusters. So you have data distributed all over the world. You can still run an acid transaction on that. And you can control the amount of, um, the right concerns, how many like replicated shards it goes to or whatever, you can you can control all that. I noticed on one of your blog posts, you have like a like for like uh, in terms of terminology between MongoDB and uh, SQL databases. So you know, it's called a join in SQL and something else in MongoDB and, and the like. So it seems to be like that there is a like for like now in, in terms of MongoDB and, and SQL databases, is that, is that true? hundred percent. Yeah. I like, we call ourselves a general purpose database and I get asked all the time too, like, where's what's, what do I use? Do I use this or this? And like this database or this database and like 90% of 
99% of use cases would be work just fine on a MongoDB database. So this is probably um, the wrong question to ask the uh, you know, advocate for MongoDB. So, totally. But where, yeah. where is the downside then? What is that 10%? Oh, totally. I mean, it depends. I'd like, if anyone tells you that a piece of tech is a silver bullet, they're lying. They're full of shit, right? Like that doesn't exist. Um, and it's not, it's not going to, and I, and like, I hate in tech too. It's like, we're using this thing and someone comes in and be like, oh, you got to use this language or this framework, you know, like on Stack Overflow. So it's like, that's not helpful. You know what I mean? Um, so like, if you're already an SQL shop, cool, great. I, PostgreSQL is awesome. I've been using it for years. I still use it. I think it's great, right? Um, there's a lot of great use cases for it. And like, we're a document-based database. Like maybe a key value store like Redis is a better fit for like saving user session IDs or like some like memcache for even faster lookups, right? Um, we write to disk. So, I mean, there's lots of, it depends on the problem you're trying to solve um, and the types of data, the data structure you're working with. Um, but, uh, and what you're already using, you know what I mean? I And the skill sets you have in house so that you can already leverage. 100%. Yeah, totally. If you're like an SQL master, cool. That's great. That, that, like, I think the database should be, like, a database should help make your life easier. And if it's making it harder, that's probably a problem. Um, but yeah, if you're already super efficient with a piece of tech, cool. Yeah, go for it. You mentioned Postgres. Uh, Postgres, you know, supports JSONB now. So, um, how how does is that seen as a threat where relational databases are sort of crossing the boundary and supporting uh you know no sql type functionality yeah totally yeah and honestly it's flattering because i think we're seeing a lot of companies now like amazon has uh document db and um azure just dropped cosmo db which is and it's based on like they've totally ripped off the mql the mongodb career language syntax uh, which is great it's like super flattering right it's like we're doing something right and the industry is moving towards the career language that we're designing. Awesome. Um, and Postgres, PostgreSQL is the same way. I'm actually, I'm generally seeing a trend where SQL databases are becoming more like no SQL databases and no SQL databases are becoming more like SQL databases, right? Like we're supporting acid transactions, all this stuff. Um, but JSONB, I think, and I get asked that question a lot too, and it, it's important to understand what working with JSONB documents looks like compared to MongoDB documents. So, um, for example, like querying a JSONB document is a lot harder to do than with MQL um, or MongoDB query language. So, like, you have to use proprietary SQL. So, you have to make sure you're like, and it's usually pretty complicated SQL queries to like get the data you could get with a much simpler MQL or MongoDB query, right? Um, you're also going to have to have like all of the legacy relational overhead that you wouldn't have to. So like you still have to do the mapping. You still have to have an ORM to help interact with that, which is additional abstraction, which is going to be an additional performance hit on you too. Um, and there is natively, there's no data governance within the JSONB document. So you have to have to have a client side, like data governance model to like protect what you can access, can or cannot access or the schema design within that do that JSON document. It's basically a blob, right? With MQL or with MongoDB, you can enforce the schema on a database level. You can just control the structure and you can add indexes to deeply nested components of that JSON document with MongoDB. Yeah, so there's, there's uh, it's very similar, but like feature completeness and like the additional overhead you have with an SQL database is a lot bigger. Um, and it's something you should be taking into account too if, you're, if you wanna go that route. 
but I've used it. It's great. And it's for not complicated JSON blobs and you're already using Postgres. That makes sense. Like go for it. Does he use case for it? You uh, mentioned Azure and, and the like are coming out within an AWS or DocumentDB. There was a bit of controversy a couple of years ago when MongoDB changed its licensing model. It was one of the first to change its licensing model because, as you say, the public cloud providers were using its tech without paying for it. And, uh, and so it changed licensing to uh, get some revenue stream for those that are going to be using it in a, in a public cloud environment. You've now got the Atlas service where you can host with MongoDB. Yep. Good decision, working out well for the company. Is it, you know, is it, is it, have you seen that as a general trend in the open source space? I think we're seeing that more and more. And I agree, like there was a lot of backlash on that when it first came out. I also think there was a lot of misunderstanding about it. Um, so like in the SSPL, it hasn't been endorsed by the Open Source Foundation, but the key is right, like if you're selling MongoDB as a provider, either have to open your stack up or pay us for the license. Everyone else is good to go. Like if you have an e-commerce shop or whatever and using MongoDB, that does not apply, the license doesn't apply to you. The open source rules are still the same, but it's only if like, you're making money off of money, like of code that we paid to produce. Um, and I think that the industry is softening to that too. Cause I think developers are weird about it. I think like, like as a company, you need to make money, right? And like with open source, it's hard to do. Um, and I think the SS, SSPL is a good way to like do a thing without being like having a giant like Amazon, Google or Microsoft rip you off um, or like make money off of your intellectual work. Um, I don't know. I think I think that there's a lot of benefits to it, too. And I think if you're not one of those humongous companies trying to mon like monetize a service, you're fine. Right. Um, and. Yeah, Atlas has been a, it's been great for us. And it also allows us to be way more open, right? Like, so you can run, we're like one of the only databases, like if you go to Cosmo or DocumentDB, they're great databases, but um, you're locked into that vendor. Transferring around is super hard. And we, actually we just unveiled multi-cloud last week. So you can install a MongoDB cluster on Google, Azure, and um, GCP all at the same time. You can do replication for, so if a whole data center goes down, you're totally fine. Um, you can't do that with anyone else. Because we don't care where you go, right? Cloud agnostic. And a lot of companies are spending a lot of effort trying to be trying to be cloud agnostic, right? Oh, totally. Right. Like, I mean, no one's no one wants to be locked in, right? And that's how they get you. It's like cheap, they pull you in and they start jacking the prices up. But if you can be more flexible, that's gonna be that's a huge that's a huge win. So so do, where do you see the uh, competition mostly coming from? Is it from the cloud native solutions like your document DBs, or is it more your open source solutions like a couch DB? I don't even think it's that either of those. So like the important thing to note too, with the competition of like Cosmo and document is um, like, uh, let's just go with document DB with AWS. Um, so AWS it's, they're based on the last fully open source release we did, which is version 2.4. We're on 4.4. Um, we're currently, so that all of them are about like on independent testing. We've seen is about 65% feature completeness with MongoDB um, our current releases. Um, so we're seeing like massively short on features. The other thing too is like um, uh, document DB is based on, oh, I'm forgetting what it is. It's a SQL, it's a relational database backed on the back end. So what typically happens is that like they're copying the MQL query language, but putting it on top of a relational database. And some of the, and you're gonna get the relational cons with that, which includes like not being able to shard or split up the data. And typically what happens is you see that companies like 
it becomes massively expensive to run these data these these databases on their on their competitors. And like the companies are great, they're awesome products. And if you're already in that ecosystem, cool, makes sense. Um, but it's important to understand like what you're sacrificing there. And I think people assume they're getting the full MongoDB experience, but they're not. As I understand it, it's running on a Postgres database where they've um, replicated the MongoDB API, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a flattering copy. We're like super happy about it. It means, I mean, like I said, we're, it means we're doing something right. Like the developer community like loves the MQL career language. It's easy. It's intuitive. Um, but you lose the benefit, some of the benefits. What about the open source, uh, you know, players like CouchDB? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, they're great. They're awesome. They're, they're not, ha- they're not seeing the huge, like the mass amount of growth that we're seeing. Um, and the massive investments in it, like in their platforms. I think that we're trying to become like a data platform, not just a database. So like we have a serverless platform built on top of it. We just unveiled a brand new like GraphQL endpoint because we know the JSON type like structure of your database. Like you can hit a button and we'll generate a graph, a serverless GraphQL endpoint to make product operations on your data instantly. Um, awesome. I wanted to ask you about that. So uh, yeah. I, I actually did read some of your content on GraphQL and the support. So what makes MongoDB a natural choice for when, you know, when you're working with APIs? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, right, like we're sending, the JSON is the payload data of the web. That's all we're sending around, right? Um, that's what GraphQL works. We're even querying now with that same data structure. Um, and we're sending that data around. But like, like I said, like, as developers, we're saving data. We think about things in terms of nested key value pairs, in terms of documents J- or JSON and objects and dictionaries, whatever. Um, but it makes sense to save the data that you're passing around, right? Like if I can just save a document that's an exact payload formation that I need to send back to a client, that makes total sense, right? Um, yeah, and you could be more, what's the word? Like detailed about the declaring what it is. like. We're not a, we're not, we don't save things as JSON. JSON, because if, if you know JSON, you'll see that it, the key value pairs are all strings and it's up to the browser or the client to, to kind of decode whether it's a string or an int or a float or a date. But with, we're, we're BSON, which is binary objects notation instead of JavaScript, right? So we can save things in more detailed things, but we can tell clients about this more detailed information as well. So TLDR, we're, we're sending data on the web the way that we're saving it in MongoDB, which makes sense. And and that just uh, if you could elaborate on that GraphQL support you're talking about, so uh, and that sort of native GraphQL uh, yeah. query support, how does that work? I'm obsessed with it. I think it's the coolest thing, and I I, I think we we haven't talked about. I, I don't think enough people know about it. I like so I'm a full stack JavaScript developer. Cool. I'm gonna be honest though. I haven't really written a, a server for a long time, and what I'm what I've been doing for the last couple of years is setting up a database in the cloud. I use a serverless provider on the front end to transfer data to a static front end, right? And Jamstack's totally bringing us that way, but it just makes it even easier to set that up. So you just like have a database, you set up a serverless provider to send some data to your client, your static front end, and then transfer that around. But um, this GraphQL thing, it, it, GraphQL is, I love GraphQL. I think it's expressive. I think it's interesting. Um, I helped implement it at a large e-commerce store at my last gig, um, and it saved us a ton of time. It just makes front-end developer app like development mega, mega, mega faster, right? Because I can just ask for what I'm looking for uh, and get it back. Uh, but now it's like even easier to get set up. Like you, like I used to have to set up my own Node microservices to like handle 
all the GraphQL endpoints and have to do all the design the schema on there and deploy it. And that was a massive pain in the butt. But now I don't have to do that. I just hit, I literally hit a button and it generates the whole thing for me. So that's the difference we're talking about here with the native GraphQL support is that there's no middleware required to make that query to the MongoDB database. Exactly. Right. Like we, we know your data better than anyone, right? Like we like, we know the structure because it's saved as a BSON. So we know the data types. GraphQL is an opinionated schema based uh, API provider. And we can, we, we figured out, we, hey, we can actually make that for you for free, which is so cool. And I, <laughs> <It's> so cool. <laughs> I love it how you get so excited about it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I wish more people knew about it. It uh, just from a time-saving perspective, it's yeah. just, it's so easy. Now there's still a place for REST, obviously, and I, I don't want to get into the whole debate versus REST versus totally. GraphQL. There's there's a, there's a place for each, right? And, yeah, totally and, agree. Uh, you know, we're obviously big fans of RESTful APIs, with in particular Open API support. But uh, we are also increasingly supporting GraphQL, and you'll see yeah. some things start coming out from us as well, the GraphQL space. Yeah. But um, you can have both. We did the same thing at my last company. You have both sitting side by side and make some yeah. API requests, yeah. hit some GraphQL requests, whatever. Yep. So, so in terms of uh, REST support in MongoDB, are we just talking about, you know, there is does need to be some sort of layer in between to make those REST requests? Or? No, no, no. So we still have a serverless. It's called Realm. So we have a whole serverless. We have a serverless front end that basically sits in front of your MongoDB databases. Um, you can set up like triggers. So based on data changes, you want to fire up some serverless function or um, make an API request to it. No problem. We, like we could do all, we do all that for you for free. Um, and again, like those are some things that you wouldn't get with a, a competition. Like we want to be like, we want to make, we want to make handling data ridiculously easy. We want to make it so easy. Because that's the thing. Most developers don't care about most of the stuff. Nope. They don't care about de de like replication and write concerns and shard. No one cares, right? I mean, some people do, and it's important. Don't get me wrong. But like most people just want to like put some data somewhere and get it back. That is as, e as easy as possible. Yeah, exactly. Let's make it, and trying to make that is like, easy as a possible experience as possible. This is my wild speculation for the future, but I think that the, the winner, right? The next Oracle is gonna be the one who makes working with the data easier than anyone else. We're seeing time over time over time in the developer community, like the tools that are easier to use, like developers are smart, but like you still gotta make it, like if you have to jump through too many hoops, you're gonna lose. Um, and I think we're going to see increased abstraction and ease of use for just getting retrieving and scaling up your data with little to no downtime. So I was going to ask you something and I've totally lost my train of thought. I got one more thing to say about it while you think about it. <laughs> okay, um, I have another wild speculation for the future. If anyone's listening to this in like 2026 or something, mm -hmm. um, you may, I may be way off on this, but um, I'm my best guesstimates for the future of like data is going to be machine learning, like having machine learning models make automatic adjustments to indexes based on your queries, automatically sharding, partitioning, distributing data based on use cases. Like, hey, you have a bunch of users in Hong Kong. Let me replicate this data over to a Hong Kong data center. So it's super fast. Right. And right now we all have to manage that as a human being. We're getting we're now we're seeing like more alerts for doing that. Like, hey, we're seeing this these recommendations because uh, that's we're a data company. Right. Like we can start making models to start massively analyzing and making up really smart recommendations for people. So it makes it even easier, right? We already have performance query monitors or like index suggestions, like, hey, we see that this query is being made a ton and you could increase your average query time by blah, 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 milliseconds by implementing this index or whatever. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 fascinated to see like how much automation is going to like help us develop databases in the future. Kevin, in, put in your diary, 2026. That's uh, right. Check back. <laughs> we'll do. <laughs> we'll do, and we'll revisit this web uh, this podcast. We'll That's right. You can you can roast me on Twitter in 2026 <laughs> if uh, uh, this these don't come true. I don't know when this is going to happen. I just I think that I I don't know. Cats out of the bag for data modeling and. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I did. I did think about my train of thought. Uh, awesome. You were talking about how uh, we can now query MongoDB directly by, by RESTful uh, request for GraphQL. Is there any use case to have having some sort of proxy in front of MongoDB where you might want to transform data, manipulate data? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, maybe you want to get data from a separate data source, like a relational database and you want to massage those together before sending it off to who's ever requesting it or um, yeah, maybe you're set up your own. And the great thing about GraphQL, right? Like it's database agnostic. So you could set up a bunch of different databases and it's just querying a bunch of different things and consolidating all together. Go for it. Cool. Um, that was my natural segue to Martini obviously facilitates that. <laughs> Our product. Ah, <laughs> wicked smart. Wicked smart, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, absolutely, absolutely. Again, like there's no silver bullet, right? Yeah, go for it, mix it up. And I think, what's the term, polyglot? Just like yes, using use use a bunch of stuff, whatever you whatever you want. Um, most of my applications end up using at least a key value store, you know, um, and a document based database. Good stuff. Thank you so much, Joe. We've run out of time. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Oh my gosh, I had so much fun. This has been a blast. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Awesome, I'd love to. I was uh, just in Kansas City last summer, but hopefully hopefully soon for Kansas City uh, DEF CON. Glad to be back. Good, and where can, where can our listeners uh, follow you and find out more about you? Y'all can roast me on Twitter at Joe Carlson one I make TikToks and funny videos on there. I also post programming tips too often, some would say. Um, but I have lots of great stuff. If you want to chit chat about whatever, I'm hang out there. Thank you very much, Joe Carlson, for being with us. To our listeners, are you working with databases? Do you have any stories that you'd like to share? Let us know in the comments from whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Also, please visit our website at www.torocloud.com for our blogs and our products. We're also on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk to us there because we listen. Just look for Toro Cloud. Again, thank you very much for listening to us today. This has been Joe Carlson, David Brown, and Kevin Montalbo at your service for coding over cocktails. <laughs>